Well, and there's such the stigma. We're encouraged to go get a physical every year, right? To check ourselves physically to make sure that we're okay. So what's wrong with going to get a mental checkup? Welcome to Deeper Dish. 20% of the people in your life suffer from mental illness. 3% suffer from bipolar disorder. 22 veterans commit suicide each day. What if I told you that there are people who successfully manage their mental health? What if I told you a person who is bipolar can have a fulfilling life? I'm sitting here with one of those people right now. He is going to tell us his story. Ryan is here today to talk about mental health awareness and his experience in that realm and also to create engagement and awareness. I don't know if it's Mental Health Awareness Month coming up or is there a, a special event you have coming up? Yeah, I do have a special event coming up. So I'm involved with a charity called Mission 22. And Mission 22, you may have seen the Facebook challenge going on. People are doing 22 push-ups in 22 days nominating other people to do it. Mission 22 supports veterans who come home from overseas serving our country, and many, many of them suffer from mental health issues. And 22 a day are committing suicide. So, you know, we lost 22 today. We'll lose another 22 tomorrow. This charity hits home for me because, you know, I've had my own battle with mental health, and I have a lot of family members who have served. And so May 18th, I am throwing a charity benefit concert called Music Saves Heroes. It's going to be at Room 7 in Gold Coast in Chicago. Got some great Chicago musicians. Uh, got, you know, a DJ and Hour of Open Bar by Remy Martin. It's going to be a great night. So you spoke a little bit about your own personal mental health. Could you go into a little bit more detail maybe? Just over five years ago, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And so that is a very particularly difficult mental health. And, you know, I call it disorder. I don't want to call it an illness because it's something that I manage and something people manage. It's very difficult to diagnose because, you know, I don't know that people fully understand bipolar disorder. I think they think that it's one minute somebody's crazy and the next minute they're completely depressed before this podcast what would your opinion have been or your thought on somebody who is bipolar <laughs> i'm probably the wrong person to ask because i've had quite a few experiences with friends with mental health disorders and also particularly bipolar but prior to this podcast of sitting down with you i would say it's Long periods of highs, long periods of lows, not instantaneous highs and lows, like uh, streaks of highs and streaks of lows. It could be days, weeks, months, highs, days, weeks, lows, and, Exactly. Um, depression. Right. That's exactly right. And it's different for everybody. No mental disorder or illness or issue I, I completely changes somebody. And that's especially true with bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. For someone like me, I have a high motor as it is, if your average person runs at a five, I probably run at an eight. So for me, the manic portion of bipolar disorder shifted me up to 13 or 14, as opposed to shifting me up to 
a 10, if that makes sense. Assuming that we're talking that you go from zero to 10, it's almost like an engine. If you go too far above 10, you could be doing some, some serious damage. Exactly. And the swings, at least in my experience, were equal to the highs that I had. The symptoms of bipolar disorder do show up later in life. So that's very common. Now, you know, my family has a history of other mental health issues, depression, anxiety. So that stuff all runs in my family. And bipolar disorder is very hereditary, too. So somewhere along the line, someone in my family was also bipolar, but just undiagnosed. But for me, it was really eight years ago when the symptoms started to come on. I was misdiagnosed with ADD, and so I was given Adderall. So the first year of taking Adderall was great. You know, I was totally focused, had best year at work ever. But, you know, my temper started to get a little bit out of control. And I would snap at people. And I was able to function without sleeping very much. You know, these, these little signs of mania start to Which show Which is not completely healthy, not sleeping. Not healthy at all. Right. <laughs> not healthy at all. But I started to think that everybody was working against me which is a fairly common paranoia sign of, of mania. And for me, when I was manic, when I thought the world was against me, then I would just push back and just say, well, you know, screw you. I'm going to do it on my own then. If people were trying to help me, I wouldn't recognize that. Right. So the first year, the symptoms were bad enough for anybody to be curious whether or not something was wrong with me. It was more of, oh, he must be very stressed. Happened to coincide with the fact that I was working on BP as a, you know, as a search engine marketing manager at an advertising agency, and this is when the oil spill occurred. I ended up walking away from that job because I thought everybody was against me. Really good job. And I thought it was for the best for me, and you know, there was nothing to be concerned about at that point. But then I found myself in a job working from home, not a lot of social interaction on a daily basis, so I slipped into a depression. That's kind of how it would go for me. In May, I would go into this manic phase, really high energy, really focused, able to get so much done, but really inappropriate. The things I didn't said to people, you know, when I look back on it now, mm-hmm. it's, it's actually really hard for me to process. Or it used to be, and now I've kind of gotten to a point where, you know, that wasn't me. That was me not managing the disorder. But in the fall is when I would get really depressed about all the things. It's kind of, it was almost like waking up out of a trance. You know, mania for me, I would get caught in this trance of not not being able to comprehend the difference between right and wrong, not knowing what was appropriate behavior at all, right? Just complete loss of any idea of any repercussions. So you lost a filter. Exactly. Interesting. It's also interesting that you say that going into the summer, you would have your highs and the weather changes, you have your lows. There's another term for something like that, too, where you, your mental state changes with the weather. You may not be getting enough sun or, you, or whatever, or you're getting a lot of sun. I can imagine that this is hard to diagnose when you have normal things in your life that could stress you out. You know, when I say normal, I mean you work on the BP account. I mean, that thing was all over the news, all over the world. I mean, the CEO got fired. You're working on this account trying to <laughs> make this right. So I'm assuming part of you is thinking, like, why am I trying to make this right for a company that's, you know, and I know you, you love animals and this they're spilling oil. And then you change jobs 
one could argue that, hey, that was stressful. I changed jobs. And then you go into this job and you think to yourself, oh, I'm a little down because I don't see many people. I'm at home, you know. So it, I can imagine that it's very hard to just place the reason or the blame on your change in mental state on those things. How did you go from this is not ADD, this is something probably a little bit more serious and something I need to get my arms around? Really, it, it just kept escalating. Year two was put on a higher dosage of Adderall. And so I was really on 60 milligrams a day, which is the highest dosage you're allowed to be prescribed legally. And that's when the mania really got to be to a point where it was offending people. People were afraid to be around me because of how I would lash out and how bad my temper was and how inappropriate I was. And I was inappropriate in a lot of areas. You know, it's funny. I was talking to my dad the other day. I look back on it. Music is something that I love. And I love to play guitar. I love to sing. But it was actually during the worst manic phases when I would play guitar the most. And I literally couldn't put it down. I mean, I would bring it with me everywhere and be completely inappropriate with it. I was just craving anybody to accept my guitar playing and to tell me like yes you've gotten good at guitar because i would work for i would do it for eight hours a day i was so inappropriate with it is that common that people choose something and get really intense about it you know bipolar people happen to be some of the most successful people in business artists Mm -hmm. because of those manic periods where You know, for me, it was guitar. I was able to play guitar for eight hours a day. Imagine if I would have put that towards a startup or painting or whatever that might be. So a lot of successful people are bipolar. You know, it escalated to that point where even if my family tried to talk to me about how inappropriate I was being, um, I wouldn't listen. The last summer of those three years, I completely walked away from the corporate world thinking I was going to be a rock star. Like I actually, in my mind, thought that I was going to be able to make a living off music. That was late summer. And when I finally woke up and came out of that, I mean, it was the worst depression imaginable. The lowest of lows just thought there was no way I could ever come back, no way that I could ever make up for everything that I had done. And it got to the point where my family had to come and they really had to bail me out, take a break really from from life. life. So did you find that your lows matched or outstripped your highs? The lows were longer. The highs for me, like I said, my baseline is to run a little hot. So To some people, and this is why it's also difficult to diagnose bipolar disorder, is manic is just outgoing, charismatic, being super confident. And those are things that as a society, you know, we put up on a pedestal. So for me to have that ultra confidence, you know, have it in spades to be very outgoing, very charismatic, some people wouldn't have even have known that that was mania at all. But you can certainly know when somebody is super depressed. Except that a lot of times, for me anyway, I would isolate and yeah. hide. Doing the lows, a lot of times you don't see the, the person. Even the closest people to you won't see you. You just be like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm hibernating for a little bit. I'm taking it easy. Or you, the responses to the text are slower or non-existent. You just don't know. And a lot of times what you don't know, you assume, oh, they're good. Because the last time I saw them, they were super confident. And, and especially if you don't know 
what's going on. Was there a, an event or a moment that happened or was it just a slow buildup? So there was a slow buildup with the depression to the point where just all of a sudden, you know, I had gone into such isolation that my brother and my dad both have birthdays very close to each other in November. And I, you know, didn't reach out to either of them. And I completely shut my phone off. You're close to your family. Very close. Right. Very close to my family. You know, my brothers are my best friends. I had just completely shut down. My brothers actually had to come down. To, they live in the suburbs. They came down the city and essentially pulled me out of my apartment and pulled me out of basically my depressive world. That then started my journey on recovery. I had to actually go and live with my parents during the first portion of that recovery. So my family, you know, they were there with me every right. step of the way, literally 31 year old man. I find myself back at home living with my parents, but it was absolutely what I needed. So in a way it obviously affected my family in that they were shocked at, at what was going on with me. At the same time, it was a little bit of relief in terms of, okay, this is what Ryan was dealing with. We understand this and we just need to learn what are the steps that we need to take to help him get better. So it set me on a path of being closer with my family. Actually, after those turbulent three years of being untreated for it, certainly kind of gave my brothers the ability to be the protective older brothers again and to be able to help me out that way. As far as family goes, it kind of torn us apart for those previous three years. Then it almost kind of gave everybody a reason to unite. Let's, let's all pitch in. Everybody says, okay, what can I do? What can I do to help? But, you know, having to move home with my parents, with my brothers close by, my brother's realizing that, you know, this can't all fall on mom and dad, that we need to pitch in and do what we can. I thought it was all over in terms of I'm never going to be able to get a job back in advertising again. I'd burned so many bridges. I right. lost three jobs in three years from my manic phases. Friendships I had burned the bridges on, just thinking people didn't want to talk to me again. Right. I had a lot of work to do just in building back up that confidence. And so my brothers just pulling me out of the house. So I wasn't just sitting around with my mom and dad all the time. That was a big thing mm -hmm. that I needed them to do that, you know, again, brought us closer together because I was spending more time with them. So you talked about your family. Specifically talk about your parents. I've got two girls. And... As a parent, one, you want to protect your children. You want them to have successes that you never experienced. You don't, you don't want to live through them, but you want them to see the world. And you want them to do things that you've never done. You want them to find, have happiness for themselves, not for you, but for themselves. But at the same time, that protective gene just pops out. And I can only imagine it tested them. You know, it tested their foundation. Well, I have to imagine there's there was some of what did we do wrong. I have to imagine there was some of that for them, even though, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. It's a mental health issue, but I can only imagine that there was some of that going on. You know, I know from just a, a stress level and, and a physical impact, it definitely had quite a bit on my mom in terms of her not being able to eat. Her physical health suffered just from her pure worry about her youngest son. So to your point, here I am, you know, adult male, 
back in the home with mom and her youngest boy is suffering and she can see it every day. And that made her suffer too. Definitely, they were suffering along with me. Any little victory I had was a victory for them. And, you know, a bad day was a bad day for them. I got to see that up close and personal, what it's like to still be a parent when your children are adults. Let's move a little bit to your friends. We have mutual friends. You have a close group of friends from college. How did going through this, and not, not so much the three years that you were what you would describe as hell, but the journey back, how was that? I didn't lean on my friends very much. I was very embarrassed by the way that I acted. I'm not the one to reach out and ask for help very much. I'm very, very independent, very need to figure things out on my own. Like I said before, everybody always says, what can I do? What can I do? Mm-hmm. What can I do? Well, I didn't, I didn't have the answer to that question. People ask me all that time. And I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you can do. <laughs> I don't know what I'm, I can I'm, do. I'm trying to survive over here, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I can do. I'm literally trying to survive and, and I'm learning how I, how I handle it myself. Exactly. Some of that, I think, is just the common, oh, this person's suffering and they said that to me. I need to ask them, what can I do? There's no doubt that some of my college friends were certainly there for me, mm-hmm. you know, if I needed it. But unfortunately, a lot of my relationships were impacted in a major way. Just the fact that I pushed people away too. Not even people just being like, oh, I don't want to hang out with Ryan anymore. Just I literally pushed people away. So my group of friends shrunk considerably by my own choice, especially when I was living at home with my parents in the early parts of my recovery. I didn't see my friends a whole lot. I was embarrassed about my situations. I didn't lean on my friends enough. That, I think, held me back in my recovery, that I didn't reach out to my friends enough because I wasn't ready yet to address my own embarrassment. One thing that did help me, actually, and I didn't process this at the time, but really to get past all of my own memories that I had of the last time that I saw people, if it was a manic memory, I needed to create new memories. And those people needed to create new memories and see, okay, the last memory I had of Ryan, he was going bonkers at such and such bar. About and a guitar. Right. You know, whatever, whatever the case may be. They hang out with me two or three times when I'm in my recovery phase, and all of a sudden they see, okay, this is a calm Ryan, or this is a Ryan who I enjoy being around. I had three people go through something very similar. The first individual, it was diagnosed for a long time. It was always in flux, but control. And it got to the point where it wasn't in control. And we had a whole bunch of other stuff going on as friends, but I didn't react. Like I, I bounced. I was like, it's too much. And I might have been right to to remove myself from the situation because of things that happened and whatnot, but I still regret going away. And then the other two situations, when you stick around, you test your friendship. The last situation, it basically was the family just talking every day. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. When people say, well, what can I do? You do what the person who is closest to that person says do. If they call you, talk to them, just like everything is cool. If there's an expert you talk to the expert. You do what you need to do. And it was very difficult. You care about this person. And that's not the person that you know. It's difficult in another sense. And I don't, I don't know how to put this without sounding bad, is that 
you know that that person may never be that person that you knew before again. And you have to be okay with that. Whenever they get out of this situation, they could be a completely different person than they were. And they may not be as close to you as you were before. And the, the nature of the friendship or the relationship may be different. But you did what you were supposed to do. It's not about you. It's about helping them get better. That was probably the most difficult part for me, like being on the outside. I value what we had before. And even though you do the right thing and you get them through that, you still miss that portion of what you had before. But then you recognize that it's not about you. It's about them. And then it was just difficult going through it all. There were like three to four weeks where you're just up to two in the morning coordinating and talking. And you never feel like you're doing the right thing. Right. Because in a typical situation, you would never be talking to your friends, family and other friends about daily activity. You feel like, man, am I breaching our trust here? Am I? But then at the end of the day, it's like, this is what we need to do. It's really hard. You know, are some of those friendships you have, are they not the same as they were before? Absolutely. I don't think people know how to react to me now. I have to live my life knowing that I'm managing, but I can't go through life wondering if my behaviors are going to be perceived as manic or being perceived as depressed because everybody has good days and bad days. Everybody has periods where they're happy. Everybody has periods where they're depressed. Mm -hmm. Mine may be higher or lower than the regular person, but I can't go through life wondering, is this going to make people wonder if I'm manic again? Is this going to make people wonder if I'm going through a bad time? And I call that being treated with oven mitts. What's going on? Like, I don't know what to do with Ryan. I totally understand that concern Mm -hmm. that people do have with the friendships that I had with people that that did experience Mm -hmm. my mania, that did experience, well, not many people experienced the depression Mm -hmm. because I would hide, but certainly the, the mania. I've come to the conclusion that I have to make new friends who Mm. never saw Manic Ryan because they're only going to see me now that I'm managing it properly. That way, that won't be as much of an issue on my mind. Certainly people that, you know, at least I thought I was really good friends with just have kind of fallen by the wayside. And it's not that I'm not friendly with them anymore. They're just not important parts of my life anymore. There is a struggle that comes with, for anyone managing mental health, is what do I do with my friends Mm -hmm. that maybe aren't sure how to engage with me? And I think the answer to that is making a new set of friends. I think the the flip side of that, from someone like my perspective, is if you know someone that's going through that, take as much as you can handle, one. Like, don't force yourself to do something that you aren't equipped to handle. Because it's just some situations... You're just not equipped to handle. That's the first thing I would recommend. And the second thing is if you do stick around, you got to be in. You you start to recognize when you can push, when this person is at a stable place and you can like, hey, that's fucked up. But then there are situations where that person is naked and vulnerable. It's not the time to be pushing. It's the time to to help them get to this, this more stable place. And if you're really close to them, then you'll understand that. And you will make mistakes. I think I take a different approach than you and you say, hey, you get new friends. I like to say you create new friendships with the friends you have. It just, it won't be the same. And sometimes it's better. You're closer. 
to people. I find that the individuals that you help through that situation that you were less close to, you actually get closer to. And the ones that you were really, really intimately close to, somehow you're not as close, but you're still there. And they know that they can always kind of count on you. That is very meaningful. I don't know how you would feel if you had a friend that was there through the thick and thin. You're not as close, but you knew they were always there. If that would be rewarding. I never thought about the flip side of it. The Like you said, the embarrassment part of it. I didn't, I, I never, I mean, and I, I sat and thought about it a lot. I never thought about like maybe the person just doesn't want that to be out there. You know, for me, it took a lot of courage to just sometimes go to a party where I knew there would be people there that the last time that Mm. I saw them, I was manic or to go to network events Mm -hmm. or professional events where the last time, you know, I see some former colleagues where the last time they encountered me that I had been manic. And that was a huge thing for me to overcome in Mm. my, my path to recovery is was getting past that hurdle, that mental block that, I'm embarrassed. Most people don't think, they think about themselves. When I disappeared, and that's what I did for the most part, except for you know some of my best college friends, some of my best friends from high school, I pretty much disappeared entirely for a good two years, mm-hmm. two and a half years. And then I slowly started to reintroduce Ryan back into life slowly took me a long, long time before I became really fully comfortable to reintroduce myself into society Mm -hmm. is the way, the way that I put it. But at least for me, and I can imagine that it's very similar to anybody else who is managing bipolar, the embarrassment that comes along with, I remember everything I did when I was manic. Yep. It's not one of those things where you wake up and, and mm-hmm. I don't remember anything I did. No, it's not a blackout. I would wake up and come out of it and be like, holy shit, I cannot believe I behaved that way or acted that way. It's like a nightmare. It's a bad dream. You mentioned also this journey. There's friends, there's family, but then there's actually work to be done. And some of that, you talk to professionals, I'm assuming. Some of that is chemical driven. So can you talk a little bit about seeking out the help of people and then also how the chemical part is constantly changing because we're constantly changing. And so whether it be medications or things like that have to constantly change with you. You know, especially with bipolar disorder, like I said, it's very hard to diagnose. It's very hard to treat. I never took an antidepressant that worked because you have to be extremely careful with that with bipolar disorder. An antidepressant could make somebody manic, actually, you know, what it's doing for your serotonin and where I went through and I tested all these different medications Mm -hmm. and are they working? Are they not working? Well, I don't know what else is working with my treatment. You know, I went through all these phases of different medications, different psychiatrists. I had one psychologist for a three-year period that I really liked that would pull things out of me that I liked working with. I think changing psychologists is important too because I would think I got too comfortable with him. I liked to get different opinions to work on different things. So I thought it was interesting you talk about how we change. It's very true. So, you know, psychologists are going to have a similar approach. It was important to me to change up different psychologists change up psychiatrists, find ones that maybe have a different opinion 
or a different approach to their treatment. Bipolar disorder is always going to be a part of me. It's not like a a depression where you know you you lost somebody and that turned into depression but somebody was able to maybe take some medication, change their lifestyle and come back and then they're not so worried about suffering from depression Mm -hmm. again. It's something that I always have to manage and always have to be thinking about, okay, what's my game plan for the next thing in case something does go wrong? Like I said, all sorts of different medications and ultimately where I've landed out, and this is what works for me and it's different for everybody else, is I'm on a consistent mood balancer. And that mostly addresses the mania. So there's nothing that I take that addresses the depression that I I could potentially fall into. I manage that with my lifestyle. So I'm going to be more prone to depression than your average person just because that's my chemical makeup. But I know that and I know what my signs of that are. So I manage that actively by knowing, hey, you know, if I'm starting to feel a little bit more depressed, I need to reach out to my family members more and let them know that this is coming on and that they need to actively call me more often to check in on me. I know that I need to get ahead of it and start eating healthier, start working out more, just start getting in place the things that I know will fall by the wayside if I do fall into a depression there's a whole bunch of things in my journey that I've tested that have gone wrong that didn't work. I fell quite a few times in this journey in trying to figure out what was the right mix of things for me to do. There was times where I was on three or four different medications at once. At that point, I really did get fed up. What is working? What isn't working? For me, it's One medication that I know will keep me from being manic because I'm scared to death of being manic again. That scares me more than the depression does, to be honest. But then I have all sorts of little tactics that I use to fight depression. Are there support groups that you go to or is that not healthy to be around other people that are going through the same thing? No, I've done support groups okay, and I found them to be helpful because... For me, actually, and I'm a big, big into joking. So, you know, I joke around all the time. And to me, I would never want to make light of any type of mental health issue. But for me, being in a group of other people that are managing bipolar, I was able to crack jokes about what it feels like when you're manic because those people all understood. They understood that I wasn't making light of it. But this is what we're all dealing with. I think it's very helpful because especially with bipolar disorder, people are all sorts of ranges across the spectrum. So hearing what other people are managing and what they need help with or what they've been successful with, unsuccessful with, sometimes it's better to hear that from somebody else who's gone through that than from a medical professional who is trained to treat it, but they've never suffered it themselves i've been asked to come back to groups that i've been part that i've participated in and just come back and tell my story you know i'm willing to do whatever would help somebody who is suffering from any type of mental health issue why do you think that you are more afraid of the manic than than the lows because the manic i had no control over whatsoever and it felt really good at the time 
So I felt like I was on top of the world when I was manic. When I'm depressed, it's scary because I lose my ability to enjoy anything. All of my confidence. There are things that I've done my entire life, like singing, for example. There was one time where I was at such a low in depression where I physically could not sing. Like I tried to sing in the car and nothing came out or my voice was all gravelly and I was freaking out. You know, I called my dad. I was like, dad, I physically cannot sing. And he said, Ryan, that's confidence, complete lack of confidence. You have zero confidence in your ability to sing. So you physically cannot sing. That was a big moment for me. I realized that I can control things in depression by doing little things to build up my confidence. Mania, I could not control. There was nothing I can do, and I didn't want to do anything. Yeah, yeah. And there was nothing anybody else could do. But when I'm depressed, somebody, my friend, my brothers can just show up at my apartment if needs be and say, you know, get your ass up and out of the apartment. I'm forcing you to do something, right. even if you don't want to do it. Yeah. Typically, when you're going through these things, they probably started a long time ago. So when I knew you in college, the person I knew was, like you said, your motor ran high or hot. For the most part, the life of the party, going, going, going. For the most part, seemed happy-go-lucky. You look back and think that there were signs back then that this was happening? It's interesting you bring that up because I brought that up with one of our good friends from college, he told me he thought that maybe I might have been bipolar even going back to college. You know, he's a psychology major, very aware of people's feelings, people's emotions. I wouldn't have ever have put two and two together. And especially back then, 15, 20 years ago, mental health was, dude, didn't touch that at all. But I can remember always being very... I don't I guess the word would be sensitive and my mood would tend to fluctuate a bit more I would say than your average person. Now I didn't know that at the time, but stepping outside of it and looking back on it now, I can see where the beginnings of it took shape in college. Everything comes down to this diagnosis that could be it could just be construed as something else. You're 18, 19, 20 years old. Your, your body's going through changes. You're in a new environment. It's a stressful situation. You're trying to make friends, trying to do well in school. A lot of us are trying to meet girls or guys or whatever. It's a whole bunch of new stuff going on. You're thrown into this unsheltered environment, not to mention there's copious amounts of alcohol and libations and booze and going on i can see how it could just be hard to pinpoint well and i actually had an experience in college that made me go to get help you know i went to see the therapist or whatever went to their office i remember and i went in there twice but i was so embarrassed to be in there but i mean i ran into a girl that i'm pretty sure that i knew and i just remember being petrified oh my gosh what is she going to tell people she saw me in here? So I immediately tucked tail and just put it way back in my head. Like, no, I don't have a problem. I am perfectly fine. I'm going to be, like you said, the life of the party, Ryan. I'm going to go out. I'm going to get hammered. I'm going to do what I do well, which is 
be the life of the party and I'm going to forget that this ever happened. Like you were doing the right thing. You recognize something was off. You go do the right thing. You see someone you may or may not know. And then your reaction is, all right, put that in the back and go do what I do, which is party and rage. It's just a courage. You had a moment, right? Do you ever look back and think, what if I would have stayed there and saw that through? I do now. I mean, I didn't think twice about it through most of my 20s. It's it was just, a blip, right? It was like, oh, I went, nothing, no big deal. Well, and there's such the stigma. That's a big thing that, you know, I want to address for sure is we're encouraged to go get a physical every year, right? To check ourselves physically to make sure mm -hmm. that we're okay. So what's wrong with going to get a mental checkup once a oh, year? Yeah. I agree. Or to make sure we're emotionally okay. Why is there such a stigma with making sure that we are operating at our full capacities mentally? Mm -hmm. I think everybody would benefit from seeing a therapist every no once in a while. No doubt. Because you can say whatever is on your mind and it's their job to sit there and listen and not mm -hmm. judge you. And you can get that from a lot of places. Some people can get it from the church. Some people can get it from sitting down with a therapist. Whatever it is you need to do to get that, you need to go. It's like a computer. You know when you have the, I don't know, the internet cache or something mm -hmm. like that? It's just clearing that out. Right. So, <laughs> so that your computer can, in my mind, so your mind can operate a little bit better. Yeah, I think a therapist a lot of times, what I'm saying, I think therapists help us to understand that it's okay to feel the way that we do in certain situations. I think society has made it such that we're so maybe nervous or scared to feel a certain way and, and to express that, right? And, I, and for me, therapy helped me a lot in that it taught me, look, it's okay for you to be ashamed about that, but you have to get past it. It's in your past. You can't carry that with you. You can't carry that shame and embarrassment into social situations now because people, yeah, they might remember Bannock Ryan, but if you walk into a social situation nervous about that, then you're not going to get any better. What really helped me was just saying, you know what? People, they want to see me. They want to see me healthy. So just walk in that room and talk to people. Don't walk in there thinking that person is thinking whether or not Ryan's going to be manic. Is there anything that you can't do now that you could do before? Well, I can't drink. That's for sure. It became something I did when I was depressed. It definitely would help really just to numb me to everything that had gone on. So no drinking for me, which has actually been great. <laughs> you know, I love it. I have more fun now than I ever did before when I was drinking and partying hard. That's been great for me. Other than that, I honestly can't. Legally, you can do everything that you could do before. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have no restrictions from that perspective. There are things that happen in the world, whether it be political, socioeconomic. How does that affect the condition? Access to health care, things like that. How does the things that are happening that are outside of your control affect your mental health? So I really try to limit what I take in in terms of media consumption. If I'm on Twitter, I'm 
following the things that I know are going to make me happy. The best thing I can do to keep myself from being manic is to take that mood balancer every day. So I'm not too worried about anything happening outside making me manic. It's more of what might make me depressed for me. Now, I don't know what it's like for anybody else, but you know, I've heard other people in my groups and, and other areas where I've socialized with people who manage mental health. And I try to stay away from all the people that constantly talk about Trump, not Trump, all of the stuff that's outside of my control on a day-to-day basis. Maybe that means that I can't contribute as much into a conversation about politics. That's okay. I'm okay with that because if it's going to make me happier and healthier to not know what's going on in politics, I don't care if I can't contribute to a conversation about it. What I have to care about what I need to prioritize is my health. Right. No doubt. Specifically, though, to decisions that are made in that realm that affect people's access to good mental health professionals as well. There are people that may not be in your situation, that may not have health care, but are going through what you're going through. And these outside forces affect their ability to get mental health help. How do you, as a person that's gone through this, feel about that? That is something that I am very passionate about, people being able to get the help that they need. I think so much of the things that go wrong, whether it be crime, certainly suicide, all of those things start with mental health a lot of times, right? And that's the problem. So much of it goes undiagnosed. That's really just a blanket statement. I can't say that with any certainty. I'm sure there's quite a few studies about what percentage of people that are incarcerated are managing mental health before they went in and while they're there. I'm sure there's all sorts of studies about that. I think that that has to be a priority for us is making sure that people do have access to be able to get the right treatment for it. So often people think about treatment for mental health and they think, well, just give them, give them an antidepressant, give them, if it's anxiety, give them Xanax, Mm -hmm. they're going to be fine. Right. But I really don't think that just pharmaceutical treatment is what's going to help people get through their mental health. It's a lifestyle that I've had to adapt and really how I've had to change my approach to life, which has helped me to find happiness and to improve my quality of life. Obviously, like I said, there's my my medication that I do take, but if medication alone is what helped me to get to a point of happiness, then I wouldn't have had to have struggled the way that I have over the course of the past four and a half, five years after I was initially diagnosed. Have you been on the other side where you had to help someone get through a mental health issue? It's tricky for me because I'm there for people if they do want to get my opinion, my advice on what I've gone through. But I don't ever assert myself too often as so, hey, you can always come to me for help. You know, I do do that with, with family members now, obviously, that, that I feel healthy and, and comfortable. I just position it as I have my experiences that I'm willing to share with you. What I did to along my journey that helped me, you know, everybody's different, but I've never yet really had to pull someone out of their depths, if you will. That's something that I definitely want to do. You know, for example, I'm going to be volunteering to help man the suicide hotline 
permission 22. You know, those are little things, little mm-hmm. steps that I'll take to get there. But I'll be prepared. I mean, it sounds scary to me. You're putting yourself kind of back into that environment for good reasons. It's it's really hard. I mean, you can see I'm like almost to the point of tears, right? You're happy to help people, but it is one of the most difficult situations I've ever been in, like three times. It'll test you, right? You'll literally start to question yourself, where you are in your balance. Like you said, you'll be prepared, be prepared, a lot of sleepless nights and, and whatnot. And I, I applaud your courage for being willing to help, but I also don't want people to walk away thinking like, hey, anybody can do this. <laughs> it's very, very, very difficult. I felt that I wasn't equipped. I was reaching out to people asking for help. How do I, how should I approach the situation? Who do I talk to? Who, who do I get that I believe is like a professional so that they can do the things that I know I'm not equipped to do. And I, I learned a lot through the process as well. What does the future in your mind hold for Ryan on this journey? The future for me is really quite bright. If you'd asked me a year ago what the future holds, I would have maybe given you a canned response, right? Like, oh, the future is great. It's going to be, you know, my job's going to be good. But no, I actually really feel like I'm going to continue to manage my mental health but I'm also not going to use that as a crutch. It's given me a lot of strength. It's given me the ability to not get bothered when something goes wrong at work because it's not the end of the world. It's given me the ability to smile and be happy all the time because I went through so much that my landlord who lives in my building is like, Ryan, you're always smiling. I'm like, yeah, I'm always smiling now. You should have seen me five years ago. I was not always smiling. I just realized that the future it's not always going to be great, but I am equipped to handle whatever is thrown at me. You know, I wake up every day, and this is going to be corny, but just knowing that something great could happen to me that day or something difficult could happen to me that day. It's however I attack it is going to be how I feel about it at the end of the day. My future, hopefully there's a family involved. Hopefully there's finally a, a woman that I settled down with <laughs> involved so I can stop using Bumble and Tinder and all the other <laughs> ridiculous apps out there. Right, right, right. <laughs> I have dreams that everybody else has. I want to accomplish things in spite of my mental health battles. I don't want to use them as a crutch. And I also don't want to go around parading the fact, look at what I've done. I've been managing bipolar disorder, but I still did this and this. It's not about that either. But I do want to show people that do suffer from mental health issues, whether it be bipolar, depression, anxiety, whatever it is. I would love to be able to tell people that, look, you can, you can lead a, a fulfilling life and manage whatever it is that you have to manage. You can have a job that you want, that you're happy in. You can have a family. You can go on vacation. You can go on a safari. You can go on a cruise. You just have to work for it. That's awesome, man. So if you're in Chicago on May 18th, come out to Room 7 in the Gold Coast. Music Saves Heroes is the name of the event. I've got some great local Chicago musicians. We're going to have a DJ there. The tickets are $22, and that's going to get you an hour of open bar from Remy Martin sponsoring that. Um, that's going to get you some appetizers, desserts. We're going to have a silent auction where I'm actually going to be auctioning off a VIP tour of Lincoln Park Zoo. 
since I've been volunteering there every Saturday afternoon for the past year. Also, at this event, I will be performing, I'll be rapping. I'm only going to be doing a few songs. I'm going to let the professional musicians <laughs> handle the performing, and I'm going to be going around glad-handing, trying to get more right. money for Mission 22. This event is benefiting a nonprofit called Mission 22, which is providing care for our veterans who come home and suffer from PTSD. They suffer from depression, of course, certainly, and they're not getting the help they need from the VA, and 22 of them a day are committing suicide. Deeper Dish is hosted by Farah Intro. Mixing, editing, it's done by Alyssa Moxley. Produced by me, Farah. Our outro was performed by From Beyond These Walls, and the song is City of Dystopia. If you want to contact us directly, feel free to contact us at deeperdishshy at gmail.com or on Twitter. Our handle is at deeperdishshy. Our website is www.deeperdishshy.com. <laughs>